If you're visiting our church, or even if you're part of our regular fellowship, and maybe you just forgot because, you know, on Resurrection Sunday, one of the common greetings among Christianity is to, to say, He is risen, and then people respond by saying, He is risen indeed. And, and I'm just the kind of guy that likes those kinds of things. And so we've extended it to just about everything. If I wish you a Merry Christmas, then you say Merry Christmas indeed. If I wish you a you know, Happy New Year, then you say Happy New Year indeed. So just for future reference, just to let you know. Uh, yeah, and I'll give you guys the rest of the chance now that you know, now that you're in, you know, cued in as to how we do it here. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas indeed. Amen. That's beautiful. You know the thing I love about a relationship with Jesus Christ is that it changes the church service that we attend. You know, I grew up going to church. I grew up my Catholic upbringing. I grew up as an altar boy. I, I, you know, I served in churches on Sunday morning, Catholic churches as an altar boy on Sunday mornings, but even to a Christmas Eve. And there were these long drawn out things with candles and incense and pomp and all these different things and and in the end and, and again you know I, 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 I look back because they're my memories I look back with fondness my my Christmas memories but at the same time when you come to know Jesus Christ you know we would sing a lot of the same Christmas songs that we sang tonight but the difference is, is when we sing them tonight they weren't just Christmas songs, they were worship. And that was their original intent. And over the years, I think because of tradition or because people lack a relationship with Jesus Christ, they sing those songs just as a part of tradition, whereas I could sense, at least for the worship team and for myself and for many within the, the fellowship, it wasn't just singing Christmas songs because it's the tradition. It was worship to the Lord, and it's appropriate at this time of the year. It was beautiful. You know, one of the other things, thought that came to my mind before we get into the passage of Scripture I'm going to read, which is found in Luke chapter 2. It's a familiar passage read around Christmas time. But the other thought that came to my mind is that when you got here, no matter where you were at as far as what you had to do today. I, I got a call 30 minutes before the service from a dear friend of ours, lives in California, and he was just calling to wish me a, a Merry Christmas, my family and our kids, and uh, even said grandkids, which I don't know if that was prophetic, but that's what he said. It's been a while since we talked, and maybe he thought we had grandchildren. Not yet, but maybe. But anyway, as he called, and the funny thing is I asked him, he goes, I know you're probably busy, about ready to get started with your Christmas Eve service. I said, I, said, I am, but I wanted to return the phone call and, and just thank him. And, 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 and the thing that, that, again, I asked him what he was doing. He says, well, and his wife's name is Jennifer. He says, yeah, Jenny's got a list for me, and I'm still running around picking up a few things. And it makes me think about maybe you're a last-minute type of a person where you were out earlier today running around or maybe you were cleaning the house or maybe you were making food or doing things to get ready for, whether it's tonight, Christmas Eve, or whether it's tomorrow, celebrating Christmas with your family or friends. 
But there's something that happens when you get here at church, and I liken it to traveling. You know, if you've ever getting ready for a trip to go somewhere, and I don't know how, you know, again, too, how prepared you are or how organized you are, but a lot of times when we travel, you know, right at the last minute, we're grabbing things, we're crossing things off the list, we're trying to remember. But once we get in the car and once we get to the airport, no matter what has gone on, how busy the day was, there's this sense of, we're on the plane now. There's nothing that can be done. You know, if we forgot something, we forgot it. But there's this sense of kind of a peace or a rest that takes place. And for me, that's the way I feel even about our Christmas Eve service. You know, maybe there are things that didn't get done. Or maybe, again, too, you spent the day running around. But as we've come into God's presence this evening, and as we are worshiping together as a family, everything that has gone on today has kind of fallen by the wayside. And even our attention and our focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the, again, to the celebration of Christmas. I have to share one more thing because I thought about this. As a few people were kind of coming in a little late and, and you had to sit in the front seat. Sorry, too bad. You had to sit in the front seat. One of the things that happened when we first moved here is my mom wanted us to be together as a family on Christmas Eve. So my brother suggested going to his church, which was at the time out in Lakeland, which is on the way out to Wisconsin, just a little bit east of St. Paul by about 40 minutes. And my brother said to me on Christmas Eve, and they had a, their service started at midnight. So be thankful that we don't celebrate a midnight service here. I'm thankful. But uh, I suppose I get to, I have a lot of influences to what time we celebrate our Christmas Eve service. But uh, he, my brother said to me, it's a little church. He says, make sure you get there early because all the seats are going to get taken up. And sure enough, we were running around that day and we got to church about 10, 15 minutes before the service. And the only seats that were left were the front row seats. And the church had like these wooden floors. And it had been a long day of running around and shopping, and the pastor kind of went on a little bit as he was teaching his Christmas message. And I had a hymnal sitting on my lap, and as I was kind of nodding off, I could feel that hymnal sliding down my lap. And every now and then I would kind of regain myself, and I'd grab the hymnal and I'd move it back further up on my lap. And, and then all of a sudden, as I start drifting off, and I could feel that hymnal sliding off my lap. I just knee-jerked. Literally, my, my, my knee just jerked up, and that hymnal went flying up in the air. I'm in the front row. The pastor's this far from me. The floors are wooden, and that thing goes like slow motion, and I'm like... And the thing just lands, and I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe it won't make that too loud of a noise if it lands right. It landed right. It landed perfectly flat on the wooden floor, made a sound that resounded in the church. Everybody looked at me. I looked over at my wife. She was snickering. She thought that was funny. You got what you deserve. You know, that'll teach you kind of thing. I don't. I'm, I'm just reading into it. But she did. It. She enjoyed it along with everybody else. My eyes were wide open for the rest of the service. some Christmas memories. And even as I share some of those memories, maybe you have your own Christmas memories. 
We have Christmas memories and we have Christmas traditions that over the years have developed. Maybe even at the time you don't even realize they're traditions. They begin with something that you do. And the next year you decide to do the same thing. And then the third year and over the years it turns into somewhat of a tradition. You always gravitate back to that. There's a familiarity that we have with it. There's, uh, again, too, being able to think back on those things. And as I read Luke chapter 2, this is how the celebration of Christmas began. This is the original. This is the, the reason why we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to get into it. You could. And maybe this will rock some people's world, but I'm not going to get into why we celebrate Christmas this time of the year when in all likelihood, actually in all likelihood, Jesus was not born at this time of the year. Sorry to burst your bubble. But we do it, and again, too, it's become a tradition. It's a, something that the Christian church does. And again, I, 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 when we first started as a fellowship, we would never even have Christmas Eve, much less a Christmas service. And again, too, that was just because for me, Romans chapter 14 talks about the celebration and the observances of feasts. And, and it basically, Paul is pointing out some people observe those things and some people don't. But the important thing is, is if you do it, you do it as unto the Lord. If, you, if you've got good biblical or scriptural reason for not celebrating Christmas, then that's fine. No problem with that. You're probably not here tonight. And if you do, and again, you know, Paul talks about being all things to all men that we might win some to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I, I've kind of grown to embrace this because, again, it is an opportunity for us to reflect on what Jesus has done. But again, too, it's for us to connect, an opportunity for us to connect with the rest of society that's celebrating this. And maybe in a way, they see something different in your life, Christian, that they don't experience. And it's a peace that you have, or it's a joy that you have or it's a genuine relationship with the Savior, Savior that you have. So I'm going to begin by reading Luke chapter 2. We're only going to look at the first 20 verses, and you can just listen. The other thing I love about our Christmas Eve service is that the kids are here. And I like having the kids in the sanctuary one time out of the year. No, I'm just kidding. I like having them in the sanctuary. Kids, if your parents start to act up, just keep them in line. We'll be over pretty soon. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. If not, you can just listen to the story. If you've seen the Charlie, Charlie Brown Christmas story, you know, there's a point in which Linus reads this, and it's a great passage of how things unfolded that Christmas Eve. It says in verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. At the time, all the nations, known nations, are governed by the Roman Empire. And a way in which the Roman Empire was able to keep track of their subjects for the purpose of taxing them would be, again, to have this type of a census. And so Caesar Augustus makes this decree 
And it says in verse 3 that all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And when it mentions that, it's actually re referencing the fact that the children of Israel, when they had come into the promised land, the land was divided up according to the 12 tribes that they had. And there were states, if you will, that each tribe had. And as a result, then, there were families that would become parts or that would inhabit particular cities and particular parts of that particular tribe. And so this is a, a great way of being able to keep track of everybody, make sure everybody's, you know, being accounted for. And again, for the Roman government, they're just thinking they just want to be able to accurately get all their tax dollars that they can from the Jewish people. So it says in verse 4 that Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. We've already looked at this previously in the previous two studies, so I'm not going to backtrack too much, but only to say that God chose to use Mary as a virgin in a miraculous way, and as a result then this would be a sign that it is God that is doing this. And Joseph, her husband, is told of it as well, and he's on board with it because he realizes that it's the work of God to bring the Savior into the world. You can read that in Matthew chapter 1. You can read it in the first part of Luke chapter 1 as well, and, and, and further on throughout the chapter of Luke chapter 1. So, so here's the thing. Mary is, is, is committed to Joseph in marriage, and she is about to give birth, and now they're called to go to, to Bethlehem, which is the city where um, Joseph was from. And again, this is significant because this is a fulfillment of prophecy. David was promised by God, and I want to say it's in 1 Samuel, but I'm pretty sure it's 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7, um, he is promised by God that he would be established as king, but also, too, that from his lineage, there would always be a king that would sit upon the throne and that the Messiah would come. The other thing is, is in the scriptures, there is prophecy that pointed out that the Messiah would be born in the city of David, the city of Bethlehem, which is interesting because Joseph and Mary are living in Nazareth. So in order to fulfill prophecy, God uses the Roman emperor to tax the entire world, known world, just so he can take this couple and have them travel a distance of about 90 miles. And again, what pregnant woman would want to travel 90 miles unless she had to? But again, all these things are God's sovereign hand working in a way to fulfill his word and his promises. So they're traveling, and, and again, to verse 5 just jumps out that she is great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Even as I say that, I... I love traveling at Christmas time, but we are a traveling family. We, I grew up traveling quite a bit. As my my dad loved to travel, we would drive down to Mexico for Christmas many times, most of the times actually, 
and we would drive and and you know it's something again too you you, you don't realize the impact at times until you look back but the impact that our families our parents have on us and and I remember when Sarah was just a toddler floating the idea to my wife hey let's drive to California instead of flying let's drive and thus began our kind of tradition of driving and traveling whenever we can I mean we will fly flying's faster it's easier but I enjoy driving and on one particular time we were driving out to California I remember Sarah was just a baby at the time I don't think it was at around Christmas time, but uh, we were traveling nonetheless. And uh, over the years, it developed a friendship with a Calvary Chapel pastor that was in this little town called Cottonwood, Arizona. And, and, and the thing is, uh, my wife, she likes to know where we're going to spend the night, like a hotel kind of a thing. You know, where are we spending? Did you make reservations? And, and I'm more of the type of, well, you know, it'd be fine. It's a little town, you know. You know, nobody ever goes there. It's a little town. The hotels should be have rooms, no problem. We get there, and even as I read this, that there was no room for them in the inn. There was when we got to Cottonwood, Arizona. There was no room for us in the Holiday Inn, and we <laughs> there was no room in any of the hotels. He called around. I said, "What is going on? It's a little town. Well, one time of the year where there's drag racing that takes place, and apparently every hotel for a 50 to 75 mile radius was booked. Long story short, we ended up staying at a guy's house. Yeah. yeah the, the, the hotel clerk says, well, I know this guy that runs this bed and breakfast. It really wasn't a bed and breakfast. It was just a buddy of his, his house. And then we stayed at his house along with two or three other couples. And my wife probably didn't sleep at all that night because she thought that we were staying with axe murderers or something like that. She was worried. And, oh, my baby, my baby, you know, what's going to happen? Honey, nothing's going to happen. Just go to sleep. But anyway, I get back to our the Christmas narrative here. She brings forth Jesus, it says in verse 6. She wraps him in swaddling clothes, which are just strips of torn fabric. And she lays them in a manger. And again, we, we have this beautiful picture of what a manger is, even as the kids did their Christmas program last Sunday. And I think the manger is now stored in our storage room along with the other props from the Christmas play. I looked at that. Wow, that is really well built. I don't know who built it. But it's really nice, made out of wood and everything. And that's typically what you think of when you think of a manger. But if you've ever been to Israel, there's not a lot of wood there. Especially during the time of Christ, there wouldn't have been, you know, an abundance of it. And typically what a manger is, is a manger is a feeding trough for animals. And it's typically carved out of stone. And having been to Israel and see, they still use these things. They're perfect size too, depending on the, you know, the, the, the this trough or this manger. They would be the perfect size for, for again, too some hay to be there and the animals are eating out of the hay or for it to be filled up with water and again to the animals would come and they would drink from these things but it's a great size to be able to lay a child in there the only thing is is who would do that who would lay their child in a thing that is a feeding trough for cows and for pigs and for animals I mean who would do that but again too all this stuff has significance all these details have significance because 
again, we're going to see the reason why, and it has to do with when the proclamation is made to the shepherds that are out in the field. And it says that there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Old King James, they were really afraid. I mean, they were startled. They'd never seen anything like this. This is all taking place at night. You know, the, the things that happen that are out of the ordinary or out of the, the usual can, can frighten you. I mean, just something very simple can frighten you. When I was in the Marine Corps, I, from time to time, would have to pull guard duty. And I was stationed out in 29 Palms at one time. And out in the desert, which is where 29 Palms is, that's where they keep it, you know, there was this airfield that was set up, and there were tents and thousands of Marines that were out there. I would, at the end of the day, typically go back to my apartment, which was 20 minutes away, or back in the main side where the, where the complex were, where Marines could stay. But, you know, from time to time, I would have to pull duty at um, the airfield there. And it was the kind of thing where there was no light. It's just so dark. And any little noise or any little thing, I mean, your imagination can run wild. And again, too, even though I was trained and even though I had a, a weapon with me and an M16 and, and even though during the daytime it was so familiar to me at night it was just like you know sometimes your fears can be played upon and I can only imagine the fear that these shepherds felt because again too they're not anticipating anything like this the sky's lighting up and angels singing and praising God and the glory of God shining around them and they are, are, are frightened. Maybe they're thinking, too, this is the end, you know. Uh, they, they probably don't know what to think. But the angels quickly announce to them the reason why they're there. And it says in verse 10 that the angels said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Not just for the shepherds, not just for the nation of Israel, not for that particular period of time. But this is great tidings of good joy that are to all people throughout all human history. And the reason being is the fulfillment of God's promise. In verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Yes, he's king. Yes, he comes from the lineage of David. Yes, he comes as a man. The Son of God comes as a man. But again, to just the purpose in which Jesus came, he came to save. He's born in the city of David, and he's Christ the Lord. And in verse 12, the angel then tells them the sign. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, again, to remember back a few verses when it says that there was no room for them in the inn in verse 7. And again, too, this is all taking place because everybody has to go back to their hometown in a particular time frame 
to, to, to be taxed and to be a part of this census that's taking place. And so the population of Bethlehem has swollen to the point where, again, too, there's no room for them to stay. And they're just lucky that whoever the innkeeper is is able to direct them to a place where the animals are and is able to direct them, to a, again, to a place where, again, too, you can, you can stay there. Now, again, here's the thing. The shepherds are told to go and find this sign. This is the sign. You're going to, in verse 12, you're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I mean, if they were to go into Bethlehem at night, and we know it's at night because that's what it says a few verses earlier in verse 8, that they were watching their flocks by night. If they were to go into Bethlehem at night and try to find the fulfillment of God's promise, I mean, how would they find Jesus? How would they find the fulfillment unless he was someplace that he could be found? I mean, would they start knocking on doors? Is the Savior here? Do you have any babies that were born here? I mean, again, too, I'm sure that there was more than one baby in Bethlehem at this particular time. But to find a baby in a feeding trough would have been a sign. That's not something you see every day. We must know that this is exactly what God, this is the child that God was speaking about, the angels were speaking about, because we, we, we see him you know, laying in this feeding trough. And it says in verse 13 that there suddenly was with the, the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let us, now, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made, made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. You know, one of the thoughts that came to my mind, and I... I you know, frequently at Christmas time, share this particular passage. And I remember a few years ago, just bringing up the point or the thought that kind of occurred to me was, why does God even choose to reveal this news to the shepherds first? Why are the shepherds the first one to know? And as I began to kind of look throughout the scripture and see the importance the role that shepherds play in Scripture. And even then, as I began to think about it, I thought about even, too, the calling that God has placed on my life as a pastor or as a shepherd of a flock. And it made me think of a number of things why the Lord would choose shepherds. First of all, these guys were on the clock all the time. So regardless of the day, or the hour, or whenever it would take place that the Son of God would come into the world, and obviously he comes at night, there was going to be an audience, there was going to be messengers that God had on duty that could, again, to not only witness the birth of the Savior, but then disperse that information. And again, to... Uh, their, their occupation allowed them to travel as well. Think about it. The shepherds would take their sheep wherever the grass was green. So again, too, now that they have been here in Bethlehem and now that they've seen the fulfillment of God's promise, 
And not only did, you know, the passage is going to go on to tell us that they return in verse 20 and they're, they're glorifying and praising God and they tell everyone what they had heard and seen. You know, this is something that is going to go on because they're able to, from that particular point, the, just the, the simple occupation of a shepherd is to, to go different places and to be able to communicate what they've seen that one night. The other thing it made me think of as well was that the king of Israel, at least Israel's greatest king, in which God is fulfill, fulfilling, fulfilling his promise of, of the lineage and of the Messiah coming was David, and David, before he was king, was a shepherd. Also, too, it, I think, too, from that, that standpoint, Jesus is, identifies himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. Verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a, a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep or not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. And Jesus says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known of mine. A lot of the reason why the Lord chose to reveal this message and this spectacle of his son's birth to the shepherds was again to their, it's ultimately what Jesus would do for us. He's the good shepherd. He cares for us. Verse 17, it says, And when they'd seen it, they made known abroad the saying, which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. The things that they had heard and seen. You know, Jesus would talk about the blessedness that the disciples experienced in the things that they had heard and seen in Jesus' public ministry and even would make the comment that many prophets and kings desire to see the things that your eyes have seen. Here we are 2,000 years later and we've experienced, for those of you that have come into that relationship with Jesus, we've heard and seen things Miraculous things, things that only God himself could do. And we celebrate Christmas because of that. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for the story. Not just a story, but the history of your son's coming, birth coming into this world. And Lord, that you came to save us. We thank you, Jesus, for traveling that great distance from heaven's throne and humbling yourself and becoming as a man and becoming vulnerable, becoming fragile as a child, and yet at the same time living a perfect and sinless life so that at the end you could pay the price perfectly for our sin. We just rejoice in you, Lord Jesus, and I pray that wherever we go as the shepherds would travel to different places wherever we would go, we would carry that same message 
of the things that we have heard and of the things that we have seen you do in our lives, Lord. We give glory to you and I ask your blessing upon your sheep and it's in your mighty name, Lord Jesus, that I pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a Merry Christmas. Be careful when you're out there driving tonight and especially tomorrow morning I heard that there's going to be freezing rain first thing in the morning.